1: Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LeDuc.
0: Hello, Garrett. In this week's podcast, we wanted to do a follow-up of the several questions that we received relating to Freemasonry and the LDS Church.
1: Right, so so last week, we gave a, well, I mean, truth be told, probably a terrible history of, of Masonry. Um,
0: well, like you said, if the Freemasons were so smart, <laughs> they could do their own podcast. I-
1: First of all, I'm I'm almost certain that a Freemason somewhere is doing a podcast. I'm pretty sure that. And then, second of all, yes. No, I don't know. I mean, no, I, yeah, no. It yeah. was.
0: It, I, I thought it was actually fairly interesting. It was. Well, um, I mean, you have to say that because you're sitting across from me. But yeah, I didn't think it was interesting at all. It, yeah, you're exactly. Right. We
1: should let the we should let the listeners vote with their feet, or in this case, <laughs> turning off the podcast.
0: Although the if you had the over at the number of times that Garrett would say ecumenical at 37. And you took the over. You won.
1: What we're hoping is that our podcast can devolve into a series of gambling uh, where- DraftKings yeah, had it at 35 and a half. Yeah, exactly. Where, where people just simply bet on the stupid things that I say and they win constantly. Yeah. That's a, I don't know another way to describe it, <laughs> but uh, uh, across uh, sectarian church lines- yeah, yeah, you nailed Do it. Do you want me to say that
0: every time? I would love to, okay. rather than ecumenical. If you so could say rather it. than
1: ecumenical, what I'm going to say is, hey, he ain't got a problem with this guy here. You want me
0: to say that? 100. Yeah. Okay. Well, so so one of the things at the heart of the question that was asked, relating to
1: I spent an entire episode trying to avoid it.
0: You did. Yeah. You really did, and really appreciate you coming back in another week to to really get to the heart of the issue as it relates to Freemasonry. And the LDS Church, because the, the the history of Joseph Smith and the Freemasons, the history of Freemasons in Utah, that was all interesting. But that that but wasn't, wasn't enough for you. It <laughs> it was interesting. It never but, is, but I missed never the is. mark. Is what no. you're saying? No, yeah. Well, no, no. You you it was it was uh it was good. It was good. But anyway, you you said
1: that was good the way that someone says when I make them dinner. Yeah, and it was, they taste it's, it like, yeah, it's really good. No, really, no we really really appreciate good. you bringing it it's over. Really Would you like, to- no, 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 I don't want any more. No, please. No, no, uh, no, 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 no.
0: Anyway, so you, you kind of, I'll let you kind of de- determine how you wade into the little. So the questions uh, relating to,
1: uh, the, the questions we received anyway is, you know, I've heard that Joseph Smith just stole the temple ceremony from the Masons. <laughs> That's what the question says. I mean, well, we
0: received several questions. One of them was a little more blunt. Why is Joseph such a thief? Why did he steal everything? I don't think it said that.
1: But it is clearly um, a source of anti Mormon criticism and has been that the argument is that the temple ceremony, uh, most specifically the endowment ceremony, was simply taken from Masonic ritual, and that it's not really from God. Joseph just stole it from the Masons, and and then, you know, said, "By the way, this is religious."
0: Well, and I think in one of the one of the one of the issues is as it relates to this is you have something that's secret in its nature uh, with the Mason rites, and you have something that's sacred in its nature with with temples, and so this isn't something that's it's really spoken about, and so critics can. Take a little bit more license because people that hold things to be a little more sacred are less willing to discuss some of those things yeah
1: and and frankly, there's different ways that people have tried to deal with those connections and um you know I had a I had a student ask me just this last week about this because one way to try to deal with so so here's the 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 apparent reality, and I have to say it that way because. Again, as, as Richard pointed out, obviously, you know, um, temple uh, covenants are sacred. The things that, are, that occur in the temple are sacred. They are not things that, you know, you're you're broadcasting on on your TikTok unless you're one of those people who's already on their way out of the church or already out. Then I guess then you do. But um, so because of that, talking about the specifics of how they relate actually becomes pretty difficult. Um. Also, from the Masonic side of things, Masons don't believe anyone should be sharing their secret oaths, signs, and rituals that they do as a part of their their, uh, progress up the Masonic ladder, essentially. So what does that mean? It means we're, we're dealing with a really weird place, where the only information we can actually have that we can publicly discuss is actually coming from people that are criticizing one or the other organization and have been completely disavowed by either of those organizations. It's a pretty
0: good place if you're going to be a critic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a
1: terrible place when you're trying to be a faithful Latter-day Saint doing a podcast. (laughs) Um, So um, as I mentioned last, uh, last podcast, you know, so many, so many days ago. Uh, Part of the way that Masonic ritual is practiced is that there are certain uh, key phrases and also hand grips and also um, recreations of some stories that originate in the Old Testament. There is also clothing that is worn that um, is, is unique to Masonry. So, for instance, in Masonry, when people dress in Masonic garb, one of the things they wear is a type of apron that goes around their
0: and goes around their midsection when we were doing the, the search on, on presidents and, and founders uh, of the country that uh, were Freemasons an iconic picture is of um, George Washington well George Washington but there's an iconic photograph of <clears throat> a Truman oh yeah wearing, yeah. wearing an Truman. apron yep. yeah. say Harry that, Truman yep. wearing an apron a Masonic apron now you know Having a discussion about you know whatever the thing is, but so that that goes to the point where that's
1: how Dewey didn't
0: win the election, probably. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's holding the newspaper with his apron. <laughs> and then yeah, they, on the other <laughs> side, he's like, "I'll show you who you know Dewey wasn't a Mason, that's
0: why he didn't win." Oh, and that's that joke is gonna play well with like Rachel's mom and like two Ra- other Rachel's
1: people. mom, my mom. I mean, who she always already needed know, Dewey. Well, I mean, come on, she's all in for Kennedy. I yeah, mean, you know, sure. I mean, come on, yeah, it's not that far to get to Harry Truman. So, um, uh, at any rate, the, 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 the difficulty in approaching this subject you can see because there's only certain things we can discuss, but so, so there are some similarities. So, so first and foremost, there are similarities. And I think that most people listening to this podcast who are temple going Latter-day Saints, they recognize that in the past several years, there have been multiple changes or differences in the way that the, the endowment is, is presented. Um, President Nelson even had to comment on this in a recent general conference. For many people, and you know, growing up, I, most of the people I knew, they felt like what they experienced when they went to the temple and went through an endowment was a a literal recreation of exactly the way covenants had been made by previous prophets uh, in in the past all the way back to the beginning of time you know you know if abraham's making a covenant that's how he's making it elijah adam everybody well that literal nature. Now, the temple prep manual, you know, specifically said that, that the temple is symbolic. And even though it says that, the the general reaction is that many people take it very literally, uh, that, that, that the things that are part of the presentation of the endowment are taken very, very literally rather than symbolic. And so people have a great deal of heartburn when things change. This is not unique to our time. Um, there were a considerable number of people who were very critical of the move from a live presentation of the endowment to uh, a a video or movie presentation. Now, there are a lot of reasons why that move was made. Obviously, it was much easier uh, to keep things uniform and translated and to make sure everything was done the same way. But it was fundamentally different, right? Instead of having different people in the live presentation, uh, act out parts of it. You now had a a movie that was the same every time, which is much more efficient, much quicker, much easier, you know, but also not the same thing. And people had a really hard time with that. Is it even the same thing if it's not, you know, live? Um, and of course, you know, there are books you can, you can read uh, that talk about, um, the the development of, of Latter-day Saint Temple of worship. But for the purposes of the people that are asking the question, it is, I've heard that the temple ceremony, or I've experienced the temple ceremony, is so similar to Masonic rites that Joseph Smith just simply took the things from the endowment and, um, from masonry and then call it his own. The uh, the appeal to this, of course, of someone who's an antagonist is it provides a way to undermine what has become one of the most sacred parts of our faith. I would guess that most active Latter-day Saints listening to me not only think that the temple is an important part of their faith, but they probably located as the as the center part of their faith. I mean, obviously, the Lord Jesus is the center of our faith, but what is my physical representation of my devotion to Jesus? It, it's the idea of temple worship, being worthy to do temple worship. Um, the, the idea of work for the dead is central to our belief that 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 there is an afterlife, that there was a preexistence. That, that, that it's just so key to it and so hitting at the temple ceremony undermining someone's faith in it is a tactic that's used in a way to say this isn't really from god if if they wear aprons in masonic ceremony and you wear aprons in a latter day saint temple ceremony aha therefore it's not really from god and that that's essentially what the argument is if there are certain uh, uh, uh you know keywords in masonry and there are things in any way similar even the fact that there would be something in uh, in Latter-day Saint temple worship then aha uh-huh, it's just simply taken from that. Now of course, part of the problem with that is the the idea as uh, uh, of uh, certain parts of temple worship are coming directly from the scriptures right? So uh, the book of Revelation is going to talk about, you know, the white stone, which Joseph Smith is going to elaborate on and say that that the white stone is going to have a new name on it, that it's going to become a Urim and Thummim to all those who go to the celestial kingdom, right? So Joseph's teaching that publicly. Well, y- you can see how someone might say, if there are any similarities, then that means that there's something just secular and not religious at all in the covenants that I'm making.
0: Because if it's not completely unique, completely new, completely different, then it must not be directly yeah, God.
1: And, and I think that that's fueled by the fact that temple worship is very different than my sacrament meeting worship. And so let's say I'm a brand new, you know, well, I'm a brand new elder, you know, getting ready to go on my mission and I go to the temple for the first time. What I see there is likely to be very different than what I've anticipated. But most especially, even if I had no expectations whatsoever, it's a different way of worshiping than I worship in my sacrament meeting. And, and I think this is where antagonists of the church, as well as, as as the devil, try to make us equate something being new and unique with that thing being wrong. That, that's one of the problems we deal with in history, honestly, right? I'm talking to you all the time about what's going on in the culture of the past, in part because what's the easiest thing to do is, is to say, well, the past is different, so therefore it's wrong. And, and and I think that, that that goes on here a little bit. Let me give you an example in uh, of where we will do some things that seem similar, but even though they seem similar, they have very, very, very different meanings. So context ends up being everything. Here's an example of that. Um, think of the act of Raising your right hand, okay. I I teach BYU students. They they raise their right hand all the time. If they're left handed, they'll raise their left hand. But usually, they raise their right hand to ask a question. Sometimes they they raise it. Right right now, Richard has a has a broken right hand. So. I'm right.
0: Ra- yeah, I'd raise my left hand. Right well, now. if you
1: raise your right hand, it's more of like a club. It is more of a, a club. That's yeah, right. and you you fell down some some stairs.
0: Well, anyone can fall down stairs, Garrett. I fell up some stairs. I tripped and I fell up some stairs. Fell into a door jam. Broke the middle of my hand. Uh, got a cast. It got worse. I had to have surgery. It's really turned into a whole thing.
1: I'm glad we could make a mockery
0: of it. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts incredibly bad. Yeah,
1: he's been doing this entire this entire podcast. He's been doing. In agony, not only because he has to listen to the content, but also because his hand hurts. This is true. Two reasons for agony. At any rate, if if even in that classroom setting, if there was no audio, right? And all you could you just watch students raising their hand, they might be raising their hand for entirely different reasons. I might say, how many of you have done the reading, right? And a bunch of hands go up, and, and most uh, hands don't. Yeah. Well, are, I mean, are they trying to be honest because they're BYU students? The reality is, none of those hands should go up. Um, that's actually different. That's them saying I did or I didn't to do something. Whereas, what if I'm lecturing and someone raises their hand? They're doing the exact same thing as they did before, only now the point of them raising their hand is to interrupt the lecture in order to ask a question. Well, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but, but the point of raising the hand, it's the exact same motion. Totally different. One was to declare, I have done my homework even though I know I haven't. <laughs> the other is, I need to stop you where you're at because I don't understand X. And if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you realize hands are going up all the time. They're like... Nothing you're saying is making any sense. Why, what does ecumenical mean? What, do you, why, what does ecumenical mean? Why do you have a podcast? Why was I even born? It just keeps it just goes further down the line. At any rate, um, so so that's just in my classroom. People will raise their hand for multiple different reasons. Well, so now let's say it's the exact same student and now they are in a court of law where they're being sworn in as a witness to a crime that they com- that they committed? No, they, they, they. <laughs> well, the BYU students are taking a real my, pounding so right my, here. So, now yeah. these are my students, <laughs> no, University of, my of Utah these, students, yeah, all University of Utah students. <laughs> no, um, to a crime that they witnessed, right? <laughs> Maybe they participated <laughs> in it too, and they they turned states evidence. I don't know. Okay, so all the BYU students that commit crimes but then get lower sentenced <laughs> by testifying against their friends. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, when they go up to be sworn in, they're also going to raise their hand. You know, raise your hand, you know, put your hand in the Bible, right? And, and, and you're going to tell the, the you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, We'll help you out, that, that, right? So you'll notice even in our society, someone raising their hand has, it, it's the exact same action. The only reason you know what it means is on the basis of your other cultural apparatus surrounding it. If I'm at an auction and I raise my hand, I neither want him to call on me, nor do I want to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, nor do I need to, uh, to affirm that I did my homework. Even though it's the exact same motion,
0: so so one example. I mean, just even in a in a church setting, when when you're there's a calling and you're sustaining a particular person, there's a tremendous amount uh, that goes into that sustaining. That I'm there to support them, to help them, and I and mean, there's a lot of commitment that you're making just in that simple gesture. When even just you know, to your point. Later on in that same sacrament meeting, we'd like to, you know, welcome the Johnson family into our ward, all those yeah. that can, you know.
1: Right. Would you like to manifest your support for them by the raise of the right hand? Like, okay. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But but that's not the same thing.
0: As supporting a, a bishop in their calling. Even though right. the hand symbol is exactly
1: the same. Right. And, you know, we talk about it in a court of law. We talk about it in a classroom. We talk about it in church. The point is, raising my right hand, or my left hand, whichever one I'm raising, It means something completely different, not on the basis of of the gesture itself. The context in which the gesture is given is what determines the meaning behind it. When I said, you know, uh, temple worship is going to seem very odd to people. One of the reasons why it seems odd to people, I think, is again, because it's so new and it seems so different from our other forms of worship. I suppose if we went to the temple and we just sang hymns the whole time, people would be like, "Mm, okay, so it's like choir practice only, you know. But I want you to think about just how crazy baptism is for just a minute. Whatever you happen to think about temple ritual, think about baptism. Now think about what baptism looks like if you had never heard of baptism. You'd never seen it before. The description of what it actually is. Yeah, well, what are you doing? Well, we're going to throw this guy under the water so we can take his sins away. Why can't you just say his sins away? No, because we have to, because it washes them away. Uh, why don't you just say that? I mean, the reality is baptism is incredibly complex. It involves, you know, submerging in water. It involves all kinds of rituals surrounding it but it's not weird to us because baptism has been a part of christian history for 2000 years. so because of that it's not weird at all even though for for essentially any christian it's just about the most involved thing that you do at all in your worship service. right if you you know you think it's bad to have to answer the door when the fast offering, you know, you know boys come around. i mean this is This is, you know, a change of clothes is involved and a towel. I mean, this is, this is incredible. You just don't think of it as, you just don't think of it as being weird because it's so culturally normal to you. But baptism is a really good example of how, even though things might seem similar, what really matters is the covenant that's being made. In our earlier uh, conversation, which you also didn't listen to, but you could go back and try to find it, but we don't label these things, so it's not like you'd be able to figure it out. Um, at some point, we will have a staff aside from Richard uh, and his broken hand. Now he's entering, frankly, his his descriptions have gotten worse because now he's entering them with just his, his, his left hand and he's right-handed and only some of the fingers on his left hand work. So now... You're going to be lucky if the descriptions are like, good podcast, yay. I mean, anyway. Um, uh, We had a discussion about the fact that baptism just means something totally different to a Protestant than it means to a Latter-day Saint. I'm not saying that baptism is not important to Protestants. It's incredibly important to them. But if you have a discussion with them about what it means you'll very quickly realize that when a a Latter-day Saint says it's important to be baptized and a a Lutheran says it's important to be baptized, they don't mean the same thing. For Protestants, they don't believe that baptism is essential for salvation. Probably the most surprising thing that some of you had when you were on your missions is you met some Baptists who— proceeded to have an argument with you about whether or not baptism was essential to go to heaven. I mean, you would think if you could get anyone on your side about the essential nature of baptism, it would be someone with baptism in the name, right? A Baptist. I remember when I first met a Baptist and I thought, oh, I could build on a common thought here because they obviously see baptism as essential. Now, Baptists see baptism as incredibly important. It is is the outward demonstration of their commitment to Jesus but it doesn't save them. They are saved by faith and grace. It it is not essential for salvation. What's essential for salvation is that they have faith in Jesus. And of course, if you have faith in Jesus, you will want to be baptized because that's what people with faith in Jesus do. So baptism is more a reflection that you've committed to Jesus, but not, not an essential key unlocking the doorway to heaven for you. So already there's a very big difference. Now, Baptists baptize by immersion, just like Latter-day Saints do. The phraseology is, depending on where, where you're at, Baptist churches have local control, so the words they use to baptize are, are often you know, differing from one another. But if you were to go watch a Baptist baptism, which I have, you would actually be very surprised at how similar it is to a Latter-day Saint baptism. There is a confession of faith, usually of the person getting baptized publicly, um, but the prayer is often very similar, and the person is immersed fully in the water, and they're brought up out of the water. Imagine if you were having a conversation with your Baptist friend, who hearing that Latter-day Saints also baptized by immersion, said to you, "What? You guys just stole that from us? I mean... All these other protestant groups were primarily sprinkling and baptizing babies, but you guys do you guys were doing immersion just because you're like stealing that from us. A Latter Day Saint would recoil from that. No, 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 no. I mean, we believe that this is this is how it was was done originally. But a Baptist might still say, "No, your, your church wasn't even founded till 1830. There have been Baptists, you know, all throughout, you know, before that in the in colonial America, back to Roger Williams. You know, uh, you you took your baptism form from us." Again, a Latter Day Saint would say, maybe eventually push comes to shove i i know it seems similar but what you mean when you get baptized that you are demonstrating this outward commitment to to jesus which is beautiful but that the ordinance itself is not actually essential for salvation couldn't be further from what a latter day saint means what does a latter day saint mean not only is this ordinance essential, it has to be performed in the exact proper way and has to be done by someone who has authority to do it. While they might look similar and they both demonstrate a devotion to Jesus, the reality of those similarities actually is that they they seem more similar than they actually are. There's a pretty big difference between believing baptism's essential for salvation and baptism's not essential for salvation. Those aren't the same thing. You either believe that it is or you believe that it's not. And so even though the form appears similar, even though it is certainly Christianity in demonstration, the real power of that is based upon what a believer thinks that it
0: means. What a
1: believer thinks that it means.
0: So so even outside of Christianity, so a person that is Jewish, especially somebody that might be more orthodox, they might say, well, you just stole baptism from us anyway. In, in Judaism, there are many different ritual washing ceremonies that are done. And if you look at a, at a mikveh, M-I-K-V-E-H, if you look at a mikveh, it looks very similar to a baptismal font. And when when do you go in and perform certain ritual washings uh, before Yom Kippur, uh, conversion to Judaism, um, the more Orthodox Jews in preparation for Sabbath. Um, and even though it, like you said, the, the Baptist baptism looks very similar to our baptism. And, and Christianity is kind of this strand that attaches throughout. But for Judaism, there's a lot of similarity, but it's completely different. It has
1: nothing to do with their commitment to Jesus as the <laughs> Messiah. I'm going to guess. No, yes. yes, yes, very little. Yeah, do. I would, yes, I would guess that they're Especially the more orthodox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most orthodox uh, practitioners of Judaism don't believe that their mikveh bath is a demonstration <laughs> of their devotion to Jesus as the Messiah. But it's a,
0: but it's a great example yeah. where like even, so the one, okay, those seem similar. They, they don't mean quite the same thing. To a Latter-day Saint, it means this- But this one, I mean, couldn't be more different in terms of what it means.
1: Well, and so I think some of the ways that that some Latter-day Saints have attempted to deal with the apparent similarities of uh, some Masonic ritual and some uh, Latter-day Saint temple ritual is to say, well, maybe they just got them all from the same place. Maybe we'll take the Masons at their word, right, that they got all these ceremonies all the way back to Solomon's temple and that they somehow made their way all the way through medieval Europe. And the reason why they look similarly is because of, um, because they actually trace all the way back to Solomon's temple. Now I understand the appeal to that. The appeal to it is, Oh, well the reason why they look similar is they all come from God originally. And that's the reason why they look similar. Um, of course the, problem is historically speaking is there's no way to, to demonstrate that. I mean the earliest the earliest that people can really kind of say this is possibly proto Freemasonry is is a poem that's written in the 1380s you know that you're only off by 1200 years you know or, or even more yeah and, you know so I mean it, it's it's hard to measure that way but I understand why someone wants that look, is it possible? that some of the Freemasonry ideas date all the way back to Solomon's temple. I suppose it's possible. Is there any evidence that demonstrates that? No. So so historians are going to say it, it, it doesn't. Or if they're being very kind, they will say it very likely doesn't. And you'll even find some Masons will say the same thing, that that, it's based upon what happened back in Solomon's temple, but, but I don't have to be doing the exact same motion that was done in Solomon's temple in order to be a Mason, right? Similarly, I think Latter-day Saints sometimes tend to think that the way temple ceremonies are done is the way that they've always been done. And so whenever there's any deviation or variation to that, that causes a great deal of heartburn. Similarly, based upon the questions we receive, heartburn is created when someone thinks that some of the motions or actions that are taken in in the temple endowment are in any way similar to any other uh, symbols, actions that are done primarily from Freemasonry because that's the antagonistic attack. Oh, Joseph Smith just took this and da-da-da-da-da-da. So another way that people try to approach this, rather than the historical way of saying, well, it traces all the way back to Solomon's Temple, which I call it the historical method, which which it isn't at all. It's, it's the opposite of the historical method because you don't actually have sources that demonstrate that. But another way that some Latter-day Saint thinkers have tried to, to think about this is that, well, Joseph is tasked by God of furthering the progression of... Latter-day Saints towards the celestial kingdom by helping them make and keep sacred covenants. Perhaps Joseph is is told that, and Joseph isn't actually directed specifically how that is supposed to take place. Well, already as a Latter-day Saint, Joseph is performing baptisms that sure look like other baptisms, but they're baptisms for the dead that are utterly rejected by every other Christian group and considered a, a heinous blasphemy. But it sure looks like baptisms that other Christians perform. Joseph didn't receive from God a new way, oh, when we do baptisms for the dead, though, what we do is we just sprinkle them. I mean, that that didn't happen. So for for other people examining this, they would say that Joseph... Maybe God gave Joseph a great deal of leeway in the way that these things would be presented. That the most important part was that covenants were made. God's going to have a covenant keeping people. all the way back to, to, to Adam and Eve, you, you can read your you know in, in your, the, the book of Moses, right? Uh, that, that God is going to make and keep covenants with people. With Abraham, with the children of Israel, with with uh, the the new the New Testament Christians, and so whether the way that covenant is made, you know, whether it's you know taking them under the thigh like Abraham swore Isaac, right? Whether whether that's how the covenant is made physically, or whether it's made in another way, is probably less important then that a covenant is being made. Obviously, the words that are uttered in Abraham's covenant that he makes to God are not word for word in English the ones that we might make when we make a covenant. That there's going to be variations and differences. This is something that Joseph doesn't seem to have a hard time with. Joseph feels okay with the idea that God gives revelation to people on the basis of what they need now, not on the basis of what they needed 2000 years ago. And so, you know, the the church as the movement of the restoration is restoring the the powers, the keys that God once uh, had on the earth. And as president Nelson said, the restoration's ongoing. It's still unfolding. We still don't have all of the keys restored the key to the resurrection hasn't been restored yet but i'm sure we'll find it we'll all know when it is i mean that'll be something that uh, we will uh, all experience so i think it's important to recognize that even if there are some similarities between masonic you know fraternal organization ritual maybe some of the clothing is similar maybe some of the the interactions are similar first of all it's not all the same so, th- so there's that. So if the argument is, oh, it's just all taken from masonry, well, it's not a very good argument because it's not. So even if you say, well, they took this and this, well, then where did the other rest of it come from? Well, I'm sure they st- stole that from something else. I mean, so you can see that that stops being an academic argument because you don't actually have a source for where the other things come from. But even if there are things that are similar, just like our baptism is similar to Baptist baptism, just like our confirmation similar to Catholic confirmation, they mean something entirely different. All religious worship is imbued with the power that the believer gives to that that ritual. right? If I'm just singing it has no religious basis at all. but if I'm singing a hymn and in my heart it's part of my devotion to the Lord Jesus. Well, suddenly the act of singing takes on a completely new meaning than it once did. So, I, I obviously, as I said, there are people on both sides of this about where you can trace these similarities to. But I think the most important thing is to recognize that our covenants that we make are with God. Whether they appear similar to other things that people might do in their daily life is actually immaterial. Just like I'm doing a very different thing when I raise my right arm to the square to baptize my daughter than when I raise my right arm to raise my hand to ask a question in a physics class that I can't understand. I'm doing the same thing, but the meaning, one profane, the other sacred, they couldn't be They couldn't be further from each other. So I think it's one of those areas where you you trust that God is allowing things to unfold in the way that God wants them to unfold. What matters is, am I keeping my covenants with God? Am am, Am I treating these covenants with the sacredness that they need to be treated? Obviously, the rest of the world isn't. Obviously, as a Latter day Saint, you know that people make a mockery of our temple worship. What they think about it is absolutely meaningless because the covenant that you make is between you and your God. And we believe temple covenants are how we can achieve not just salvation from hellfire, but exaltation into a celestial kingdom that Christians don't believe even exists. So, of course, they're not going to accept our temple worship as legitimate. They don't think exaltation is legitimate. But don't allow the fact that they don't believe that it's legitimate, or some former member, uh, some apostate who's criticizing the church on that don't allow them to dictate what it is the covenant between you and your God is. I don't care if it looks similar to them. It means something entirely different to me. And it's sacred, and it's mine. And frankly, I don't owe you an explanation of why I keep sacred covenants in my religion. If you're not a member of the religion, you aren't owed an explanation any more than you can go demand what it is that someone's praying for in Islam or what the Buddhist is thinking about as he sits and meditates in his temple. You might be curious and you might inquire, but the, the religion is, is, is something that is personal. and And hopefully... As we've discussed this, you've, you've you've it's helped you understand at least the context of masonry, why it does seem so weird, even when people throw that connection up, because of our relatively negative history in America itself with the idea of a kind of secretive organization, but especially inside of Latter-day Saint history, where that organization was for over a century, an antagonistic organization towards Latter-day Saints. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully that answers uh, the questions. I'm sure it didn't. Like most podcasts, we say we're going to try to answer questions. But I really should just put out up front, we don't have answers to the questions. So all I can do is talk about Oh, you want to know about that? Well, let me read a letter that Joseph Smith wrote to Hiram in 1830, which
0: doesn't answer the question. Well, there, that, there was a great, uh, there, one of you know, our favorite people ever is Truman Madsen, and uh, he, he had Timeless Questions, Gospel Insights. This is Timeless Questions, No Real no, yeah. Insights.
1: Time, a, a, incredible Questions, Terrible Insights <laughs> by Dr. Garrett Dirkman. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. Um, thanks so much for listening. Hopefully it was at least somewhat uh, uh, clear that's what I'm trying to do, but as you can you can see only Rachel's mom's going to be listening after this.
0: Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.